this morning's passage is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, starting at verse 12. So as you turn there, flip there, swipe there, um, I will share with you a story this morning. Jesse Leroy Brown, who was born October 13, 1926. He was born in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and he actually had humble beginnings. His father was a sharecropper, and his mother was a former school teacher. Growing up, during his breaks from school, during his lunch break or after school, he would help his father in the field. But one day, his dad, he took him to an air show at the age of six. After going to this air show, he immediately knew what he wanted to do with his life. He wanted to become a pilot. From that moment on, he excelled in school, he excelled in athletics, and actually became valedictorian of his high school. After attending a segregated high school, he went on to college, the Ohio State University, as one of a few black students there at the university. But while there, he came across this program where he could become a naval aviator. Well, he decided to enter this program. And just like everything else he did, he excelled and he graduated. And he became the first black av naval aviator in history. Now, he got his wings in 1948. Soon after that, in 1950, we have the Korean War. It's often described as the Forgotten War because it's in between two huge wars. You have the end of World War II, and then a number of years later, the Vietnam War, right? On December 4th, 1950, Jesse Brown, along with his wingmate, Tom Hudner, flew on a search and destroy mission in North Korea. Now, Jesse and Tom, they had built a friendship, a really tight bond over the years even though they came from two vastly different backgrounds. I just talked about the background of Jesse, but Tom, he grew up in North, in Massachusetts. His father uh, graduated from Harvard, was a businessman, and he owned a number of uh, restaurant or uh, grocery store chains. And Tom, instead of following his father to Harvard, he decided to go to a uh, prestigious military school. He went to the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, not too far from here in, uh, in Baltimore. So after graduating there, he went and became a naval aviator. And on this mission, December 4th, 1950, the two of them flew out. They're about 15 miles behind enemy lines, searching for targets to destroy, when Jesse, his plane was hit by enemy fire, and he was forced to crash land his plane on the side of a mountain, in a small rocky field. Tom, his wingman, flew circles around the crash site, hoping to see some sign of life that Jesse had survived. And as he looked, as he peered out of his cockpit, he saw Jesse open up his cockpit and wave. He had survived. But something was wrong. He saw that Jesse wasn't getting out of the cockpit, wasn't getting out of his plane. And he soon realized that he was trapped in his plane. Well, Tom, he did what he thought 
the only option he had, he intentionally decided to crash land his plane right next to Jesse. He injured his back in the process, but was able to get over to Jesse and try to pry him out. After he worked with him for a number of minutes, actually for a couple hours, it was clear that Jesse was not getting out. The temperature was sub-zero, and life was slowly draining out of Jesse. They called in a rescue helicopter to come on the scene to assist, but it was clear that Jesse was not going to make it out. The last known words of Jesse was, tell Daisy, my wife, that I love her. And he later passed away. Tom, he was rescued by the helicopter, and was later awarded the Medal of Honor. The highest award that can be bestowed upon a military serviceman for their bravery and courage. Now, although I share this story of bravery and courage and love and devotion, that does not compare to love and devotion that Christ has for his church. So please stand with me as I read this passage from the Gospel of John. John chapter 15, starting at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call your servants, for the servants does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Please be seated. Now, context means everything. This passage that we just read, it is found in the Gospel of John. It actually comes towards the end of Jesus' three-year ministry here on earth. This passage is found within an address typically called the farewell address of Jesus Christ. It actually starts in John chapter 13 and goes all the way to John chapter 17. And in this passage, Jesus talks about a number of things. As you recall, right before uh, John chapter 13, or in John chapter 13, Jesus Christ, he gathers his disciples in the upper room. He celebrates the Passover with them. Jesus washes their feet. And then he starts to share his heart with them. He lets them know that, hey, he is troubled, but that you shouldn't be troubled. I will give you a gift, the Holy Spirit. And he repeats this theme on and on, all the way through John chapter 17, of love and unity that should be found within the body of believers. He also warns them that they will face persecution, but you will have joy. As a matter of fact, this farewell address has so many memorable verses. Many of them you'll recognize. I'll just read off a few. In John 14, verses 2 through 3, Jesus Christ says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In chapter 14, verse 6, he says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. In verses 18 through 19, he says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would, would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And of course, memorably, in chapter 17, we have the high priestly prayer, where Jesus prays for his disciples that they will be strengthened, that they will have unity. But then get this, not only does Jesus pray for his disciples, he also prays for you and me. He prays for all those who would believe in Jesus Christ on their testimony. Jesus right there prays for us, his church. Past, present, and future. In the midst of sorrow and in this future temporary loss, where Jesus would be, with, would be without them, but then he would come back. Jesus encourages them to remain faithful, to stay unified and committed in love, and to have joy and persecution. Now, in this message, if you hear anything else, please hear this. God loves his people, and his love empowers his people. I'll say it again. God loves his people, and his love empowers his people. So back to this passage. He starts off by saying, this command, this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now in verse 9, Jesus says something, something a little bit similar, but he says this. He says, as a father loved me, I also love you. Now, I'll get that. You know, just let that sink in. As God the Father the first person of the Trinity, loves his only begotten son, the second person of the Trinity, that love, that bond that they have between themselves, Christ also has for his church, for his people, for his disciples. Again, let that sink in. This is mentioned towards the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth, but if you recall, back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptizer. Right? And as he's standing in the water, the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and rests upon him. And a voice from heaven calls out, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's the statement that God gives for his Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that same statement, that same assurance of being accepted by God, 
that same expression of love that God has provided to God has provided His Son, Christ gives to His church. You are loved by me. You are embraced by me. You have assurance of my love and not my wrath. That is a great gift from God. Listen, there's no other embrace. There's no other embrace from a spouse. There's no other embrace from a friend that can compare to the embrace of Jesus Christ. There's no other embrace of a substance of wealth, fame. You fill in the blank, anything that this world can give. There's no other embrace that compares to the embrace of Christ. That expression of love that you are forever accepted. You never have to worry about my wrath. I give you joy and riches and honor. The same love between God and Jesus. Same love is between Jesus and his church, his disciples, his people. But let's go back to verse 12. (laughs) It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I, mean, I kind of like that first statement in verse 9. <laughs> I have the same love that God the Father has for his son. But now Jesus is saying that same love you should share between one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I, I, I mean, God has set a pretty high standard. You're telling me that I shall love my brother and sister in Christ with the same depth of love, the same commitment, the same devotion that Christ has for his church? The easy question is, uh, do we do that? The easier answer is, no way. (laughs) No way. Should we try? Yes, absolutely. You see, this divine love, that's how I describe it. This divine love, it is completely unnatural. It is unnatural. In your own flesh, you cannot love like that. It is impossible. If it were impossible, then why would you need God? Why would you need to pray to him? Why would you need to seek him to love others, to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? See, God realizes this love is unnatural. It is divine. And that's why in John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus promises them a gift, a paraclete, a helper, the Holy Spirit. Because he realizes this type of love, you cannot do it on your own. I mentioned that word paraclete. It's in uh, Greek. But in translation, sometimes in your Bible, you may see the word helper, advocate, comforter, counselor. Kind of the common theme between all those descriptions, those words is someone who supports you, who strengthens you. You see, back in ancient time, the word paraclete was an advocate, someone who came alongside you and supported you and strengthened you in a courtroom, in defense. That's why you can use that word advocate. That word comforter you might find in the King James Version. Uh, King James, as you know, was written a long time ago, written in the 1600s, right? And as we know, over time, English language 
or any language, it kind of morphs, it forms a little bit, it changes. So the word comforter back then was more closely aligned with its Latin roots, which meant to strengthen, to strengthen. That's one of the rules of the Holy Spirit, to strengthen you. And of course, counselor. Sometimes you might think a guidance counselor or a counselor is somebody who just listens to you complain. Uh, that's not the real true thrust behind the word counselor. It's, again, to support you, to strengthen you, particularly in defense in a courtroom. So all this is getting at is in our effort to love one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus Christ has given us a gift, the Holy Spirit, that supports us, strengthens us in that love. Because that type of love, again, it is unnatural. We need divine support. Because let's be honest, I'm a difficult person to love. I already know that. Just this week, I was like, oh, man, Mike, you are so difficult. And let's be honest, you're difficult to love, too. You know, why are we difficult to love? Because we are sinful. We are prideful. We are arrogant. We are selfish. The list goes on and on, but the end result is we are sinful. That makes things difficult. But God has not left us alone. The verse goes on. Greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his friends. You know, this was a commandment of Jesus Christ, but not only was it a commandment, it was an example that Christ gave on the cross. Where Christ gave his life for his people. Now, most likely, we will never find ourselves in a situation where we have to give our life away in defense or in support of a brother and sister in Christ. Chances are that's not going to happen to us, right? But what happens way more often on a daily basis is that we have an opportunity to die to self, to die to our own desires, to die to our own preferences, time, money, etc., for the benefit of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That happens way more often on a daily basis than we have the opportunity to give our life for somebody else. Now, I get it. Jesus Christ talked about loving our neighbor as ourself. And we know that our neighbor doesn't have to believe in Jesus Christ. Our neighbor is just our fellow man, fellow human beings. We are to love and care for them, treat them the way we wanted to be treated. And that is a great witness of the love of God. I mean, we see that in the parable of Good Samaritan. Even when we're talking about the farewell address of Jesus Christ, right before this address, he washes the feet of his disciples, all 12 of them, even one of them who was about to betray him. Jesus still washed his feet. So we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. That much is given and is a great witness but it's just as much of a witness, and I would argue a greater witness, is how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we treat each other? You see, in this farewell address, in John chapter 13, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, one of the reasons why we really appreciate and like stories like I just opened with, with uh, Jesse Brown and Tom Hudner, of their bond and commitment and friendship with one another, or one would risk his life for the sake of another. The reason why we like those stories is because we kind of see this bond, this friendship, this love, this commitment that kind of surpasses, uh, eclipses the barriers that this world gives. Either there's barriers of race, ethnicity, background, economic status, education. When love and commitment triumphs over all of those, that, that, that turns people's heads. That brings attention, right? What is this love? What is this bond? You know, Jesus Christ demonstrated something far greater for his people on the cross. And that should turn people's heads. What is this great love that Christ would die even for his enemies while we were yet sinners? That Christ would give up his life that same love should be demonstrated by the church as well. We should love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That turns people's heads. Of course, this verse goes further. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You know, it is a, a great honor to be called a friend of God. In the Old Testament, there are only two people who are called a friend of God. The first is Abraham, the father of the faith, right? The second is Moses, the great prophet, the great mediator. And that's a pretty small high up there, you know, group. What Christ is saying is that, hey, I know we honor and respect Abraham. I know we honor and respect and appreciate Moses. But if you follow me, you are a friend of God. You are in that same group. If you have received my love, if you have repented and turned towards me, you are a friend of God. You know, in uh, the military as well as in civilian life, if you work for the government or work in support of the government, there are different uh, kind of like security clearances, right? You have unclassified, classified secret, top secret, and there's different levels of top, top secret. And what that really means is that, like, you have certain privileges to access certain information the higher up you go in your clearance level. Now, although you might have, let's say, particular top secret clearance, everything is compartmentalized, meaning you have a lot of information or have access to information in this one area, but that doesn't mean you have access to information in another area. And it doesn't mean you have access in this area. You'll only have access to information into a particular area. 
with his security clearance. The reason for that is that so no one would have, or at least very few people, have access to the high level of knowledge across all areas. <laughs> there's very few people who have access to all things, right? And there's a reason for that, national security. But what Jesus Christ is saying is that if you are my friend, if you follow me, I've given you access to everything, everything I've given to you because you are a friend, because you follow me, because I love you. There's no greater top secret clearance than that, right? Let me just share with you a few Bible verses that kind of shows what God has given you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, the Apostle Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. At 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8, the Apostle Paul says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what, is, what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand, solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. He gives his Holy Spirit to you. And finally, this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, that those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What is the main point? Christ has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He has given us his word, scripture. He has given us the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, those around you, to support each other in following and being faithful and obedient to God. 
Now, it's all fun and good if I mention all these things about what God calls us to. But as we know, just in life, it is so difficult to follow God. Why is it so hard to follow up, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, I'll just give just a quick, three quick reasons why it's so difficult. This is not a comprehensive list. You can come up with other things, but just three quick things that prevent us from loving each other well. One is that we have fear of being hurt or fear of being known by someone else. So you kind of really keep people at arm's length. And you say, hey, hey, hey I'll love you, but, but only to a certain point. <laughs> just, just keep your distance. I don't want to be hurt by you, and I don't really want you to know me, and vice versa. I don't really know you, but I'll love you to a certain degree, just until things get uncomfortable, right? Thank God Jesus Christ wasn't like that. Thank God that Jesus Christ came in the midst of brokenness, came in the midst of pain and suffering to save his people, right? Now, the church, how are we supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn if we're not with the church, if we're not with other people? We are not investing our lives in other people and vice versa. How can we truly love someone? It is difficult. I know uh, many of us, either in the church or outside of the church, we, we want love without risk. We want love without pain. We want love without suffering, right? Well, the funny thing is, is that pain, suffering, it magnifies love. It'll look no further than the cross. And we all know personal examples of where, in the midst of suffering, love was magnified and God was glorified. So look to Christ. Do not fear, have fear of being hurt or being known. Another uh, kind of reason why we might uh, hesitate in loving our brothers and sisters in Christ or not give ourselves fully is maybe we don't have good examples, right? We don't have good examples of good friends, of good, faithful Christian friends. Just like in a family, you may not have a good example of what it means to be a brother or sister. You may not have a good example of being a father or a mother. Yeah, this is uh, before I was, I was getting married, and I, and I grew up without a father in a home. I was about to get married, and at the church I was attending, I uh, asked the elders, my fellow elders there, I was like, hey, uh, there's, there's four of us, so I asked the other three, hey, do you mind if I uh, spend a couple weeks at each of your home just so I can sit and observe and just watch to see what, it, what it's like to be a father, to see what it means to be a husband. I, I kind of want to learn. <laughs> you know, each one of them was like, yeah, yeah, that's great, but uh, yeah, now's not a good time. <laughs> just, just don't do it right now. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that within the church, we should be looking to one another as examples what it means to live out our faith and love for one another, what it means to be faithful to God, no matter what background, no matter what experience you've come from, we all have the gift and strength and support of the Holy Spirit. 
We all have God's word. Yes, we make mistakes. But even in mistakes, even how you handle that, that can be an example of what it means to repent, what it means to ask for forgiveness, what it means to make amends. The church, we should be full of examples of what it means to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, the last reason that uh, it may be hard for us to love one another is simply because of selfishness, right? We just desire our own money, our own time, our own energy. We want to hold it to ourselves. We don't want to give it to others. This is my time, my plot of grass, my whatever. I'm selfish. I, I get that. I understand that. But again, just like in all examples, Christ is a perfect example. And thank God, Christ wasn't like that. Let me read to you this famous passage in Philippians chapter 2. So the Apostle Paul says this. So, if there are any, is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, be born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, although it is hard to love one another, we are called to love one another. We have the great example of God the Father to his Son and his Son to his church. We have the great gift of the Holy Spirit. We have God's Word. And to be honest, we have each other. So please, if you hear anything else, hear this. God loves his people, and his love empowers his people. You know, I was reading an article and uh, this past week, I just happened to come across this, and I thought it was good to share with you. The author wrote this. Our corporate worship, prayer, and teaching times aren't nearly so much about learning more facts they are about experiencing and communicating the reality of God. We should not confuse being a knowledgeable Christian with being a faithful Christian. In order to see clearly the realities of grace, we must be willing to give of ourselves for the nurture of others. And preaching God's word. My charge is to help people see Christ, to help see his love, and to respond to that love. 
You know, that's not only my charge, but it's also your charge as a follower of Christ. To share and grow in that love and to magnify it. So in that, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the love that you've shown to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for sending your Son to die for us even while we were yet sinners. Thank you for granting us new hearts and new eyes, new affections for you. Lord, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that only sanctifies us and equips us, but also strengthens us to love others, to endure, to hold on to your truths. And your Holy Spirit also keeps us from falling away. So, Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. Lord, as we go out this day and every day, may you keep us, protect us, strengthen us, and encourage us. May we be great salt and light in this earth for your glory and for your purpose. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.